Jesus, only Jesus. Uh, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We've been studying uh, the body, which is Christ's body. Um, the one Jesus first introduced when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, my body. And so we're here the last few weeks to talk about what it means to be a part of Christ's body, what it means to be a part of what he is doing in our world. And as a believer, you're part of the church, not a, not a building, but a part of a group of believers of Jesus Christ that we've been called out of this world uh, to be his representation. And so we want to talk about that more. We want to talk about it because the Bible talks about it. And so if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, we're reading a passage here, verses 12 through 27, 1 Corinthians 12 through, 12 through 27. I want you, as we read through this, to note the nature of the body of Christ and uh, what it calls us to be like, who we are to be and what we are to do. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less of a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seeming members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, um, it would appear to us that this body, this church, must be pretty important to you. You have instructed us over and over in the New Testament as how to live as your body. You've helped us understand our identity as your bride, dearly loved, people who have been bestowed upon grace upon grace. Lord, this morning we want so much to understand what it means to be a part of your body. Lord, refresh us. Help us to see your church, your people, through your eyes. Not our own. Lord, I'd venture to say that many in our room have been disillusioned at times with the church. 
Maybe as we look at the condition of the church in America, around the world, we're discouraged. And there might be every temptation to write off what we talk about this morning because of past experiences. But Holy Spirit, I pray that would not be the case, that you would refresh us anew. Give us a clear vision of what it means to be part of your body. And Lord, might the end result be that you'd receive the glory, the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This uh, passage has been, just to kind of be clear, which might be obvious, but it's written to believers. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're 8 years old or you're 80 years old, it's written to you. It's written to all believers. And so children, don't check out just because church is for adults, as you might think. This is for every believer here. And so you're going to want to find out what it is God calls you to be and what He calls you to do in the body. My desire is that every believer who calls Elam their home gets excited about, gets serious about serving in the church. There's three points I think this passage points to that lead me to believe that that statement and my desire is in keeping with what God wants. Three points made to help you and I understand the church and our role. It struck me as I was reading through Galatians. I'm just going to read one verse. Something very significant. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh. But how are we to exercise freedom but through love serve one another? It would seem to me that part of our being a Christian, part of our walking in freedom is serving each other. That would tell me this is something very significant. Paul's clearly thought it was. He talked about the nature of the church and the first thing he says in verses 14 through 20 is that there's many parts to this body, but each one is very important. There are many parts. Each one's important. So keep this in mind as you go through this. The body is not one member, it's many members, plural, one body, singular. Each one is important. And we're given word pictures to teach. Actually, I read this, it's almost got a humorous tone to it. Um, and these word pictures are for our sake, uh, so we could understand what God wants to say to us. And so God uses at times word pictures and analogies to teach us. One is he uses the familiar to explain the unfamiliar, we understand what a human body is. We understand what a physical body is. So he uses a familiar to teach the unfamiliar. And it seems God's always using sim to simplify things to explain the complicated. And it's like God says, I need to speak in terms that a child could understand. Because if you were a God who's transcendent and completely other, trying to communicate to human beings, you would need to use terms a child could understand because we're children before God we're way way far below him and we are his children so he says I better speak in terms they can understand and so verses 15 through 21 get pretty interesting and so if we look at verse 15 if the foot should say right away you should read that and say wait a minute feet don't talk but if a foot should say, what if a foot did speak? What would a foot say? Give me light. 
It stinks down here. You're wearing me out. Could you sit down for a while, please? If foot could speak. I want to see my work. The hands. How come they get all the attention? I mean, no one said he's got the feet of a surgeon. He's got the hands of a surgeon. And so I can see the feet going, I'm getting ripped off down here. I don't get to see anything. If a foot could talk, Paul says. Suppose an ear could talk. What would the ears say? Well, I'd like to see who I'm talking to and who I'm, who I'm hearing. That'd be nice, the ear might say. The ear might say, I'd like to know where I'm going. I'd like to know what these sounds are, but an ear can't see. But if an ear could talk, he might say, I wish I was something else. And although the foot is hidden, it does not mean it's not important. And although an ear can't see, if you lost your hearing, it would be a great loss. Even the eyes could not replace it. I think Paul's trying to tell us in verse 15 and 16 is that there are differences, and we can't suppose they don't exist, but it's actually the differences that give us strength. They shouldn't threaten us. We should embrace them. But as I read this, this gets really, verse 17 is an interesting visual. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? That sounds ridiculous. And uh, as, I, as I thought about a six-foot eye, okay, you got a six-foot eye. If the whole body were an eye, six-foot eye, and I thought of Monsters, Inc. I don't know if you see that little monster with the big eye, but uh, what if the whole body were an eye, and, 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 and Paul talked about it, so I'm not getting off base here, uh, that would be interesting. We would say that's ridiculous. I mean, that I can't walk. There's a lot of things that I can't do that I can't shake hands. It can only bat each other. You know, that's all we could do if the body were a six-foot eye. You couldn't hug or kiss each other. How do you get in the car? How do you get dressed? My goodness, what about eye shadow if you were a female? Good luck. Paint sprayer or something. I don't know what you'd do. But what if you were a six-foot ear? What would that be like? I mean, talk about ball and chain for earrings. I mean, if you were a six-foot ear, we would say that's absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous to have a six-foot eye. I mean, you wouldn't be able to function. It'd be ridiculous to have a six-foot ear. You couldn't function. Paul and God would say, yes, it also is ridiculous when we do not serve. It's ridiculous when we don't use our gifts in the body. And we sit and envy others. God says that's ridiculous. God says it's ridiculous when you have a part in the body, but you don't execute it and you don't exercise it. God would say that's ridiculous because there are many parts and each one is very important. No one person's the whole body. There's no superstar complex. It's unbiblical. We don't need six-foot eyes. We need every member of the body using their gifts. Are you a believer? If you sit here this morning and you've named the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are important to the body, whether you're 8 or you're 80. You are an important member to the body. The body needs you. Each one is important. You're needed. 
which would tell us if you pull away from the body, you're taking away from the body. Because the body needs you. The body needs your gifts. The body needs your presence. Because each one is important. Now I've come across over years that kind of I think address this as some popular assumptions. They're erroneous. They're erroneously believed by many in the body. What are these wrong assumptions about service? What are these wrong assumptions about spiritual gifts? One is that only the visible are viable. I mean, only the people you see are ones who are important. You might say, I'm just an usher. Or I only fix meals. Pastor's going to have to tell you about Jesus in the church. Pastor Dan's going to have to, to, to do that. Because I'm just me. I don't have much to offer. But that's true. Or that's, it, that's in, untrue, I should say. These statements and those like them suggest that the one with more visibility in ministry is more capable, therefore more important. That's unbiblical and very untrue. Another wrong assumption is that only those public gifts, only those public expressions will be rewarded. But we're told in 1 Corinthians, God rewards everybody for their service, whether it's seen or unseen. God weighs each of us in relation to our service and to our gifts, not what we deem is more valuable. In other words, it's not what we value, it's what He values. All are needed, and all will be rewarded. There's a third assumption, and that is only the head of the body is important. Now this rings so close to true, it might shock some of you, that's actually false. And since Christ is the head... He has declared that he will not perform all the functions of the body. He says, I'm going to use my children. Why? Because they're important. And they have an important role to carry out. And so each is important to accomplish his strategy. Each of us is important to accomplish his mission, which he calls us to. So we must know our role. And we must carry out our responsibility. Now look at verse 18. And I, and I want you to look at that and personalize it, and I want you to plug your name in here. Verse 18 says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. Or you could say it this way. God has placed Al right where He wants him, just as He desired. Just as He desired. God has placed Maria right where He desired. That's what He's done. You see, He has the right to put us where He desires. He doesn't put you where He desired for somebody else. He's gifted you. He's given you talents. He's given you passions. He's given you a role for you to carry out. It's the role for you. Don't try carrying out somebody else's role. He's got a role for you to carry out. So personalize that and put your name in there. God's placed you where He desires. He's gifted you the way He desires. You're important. To what God is doing in the world. You'd be surprised. Uh, we have a, uh, people will call ministers, ministers, but all believers are called to be ministers. And so you're a minister. That's what we're all called in the New Testament. You and I, to be honest, cannot walk in the Spirit apart from functioning in the body of Christ. We can't. Because God desires, and God has called us, and God has equipped us, and empowered us 
to walk in the spirit and when we do that we are functioning in the body there's not a disconnect there nor will there ever be believers are called to work together to accomplish his purpose and when people serve when they use their gifts and their passions they become effective they become fulfilled and the body becomes stronger and it becomes healthier regarding service and you might say well uh, i'm a newer christian or or maybe i've been a christian for years and haven't really understood much about it and and i'd like to serve and and maybe you've heard of these things called spiritual gifts and i'd, I'd like to discover what they are there'll be some to- teaching coming up next year on how to discover your spiritual gifts and uh, we'll get that plan and let you know about it but you might be thinking how how do i discover that how do i discover my role well i'm going to give you Four things I think will help you. One, be informed. Know what roles are out there. (laughs) Know what your roles are. Know what your passions are. Be open. Might not think. Might not be what you think. Experience to come might tap into a passion. Might tap into an an impact. Now, if you were, Cindy would relate to this because uh, growing up, she wanted to marry a farmer and she married a person as far away from a farmer as you can get. I grew up in the city. That, that's where I grew up, and concrete. So I'm in a parsonage. I'm quite at home over here, um, but I'm the only one who's at home. Everyone else wants grass. And so, and so she, didn't, she didn't sign up for that one necessarily, but she was open. That's where God called her. Be available. Serve in many ways. See what you enjoy. See what you're effective in. And I tried, when I became a Christian, to try serving wherever somebody asked me because i want to find out where my niche was i want to find out what i call the sweet spot if you ever played baseball and you hit a ball there's a spot on that bat called the sweet spot and when you hit it it's like you hardly even feel anything happen but it just it goes and goes and goes you become most effective when you hit it in that sweet spot and the same is true of serving christ when we get in our sweet spot we're most effective so find your sweet spot. And to do that, you need to be available. And I would add, be sensitive to feedback from other people. Oftentimes other people can see things you don't. And they see, and they can say, you know what? When you serve in this area, my goodness, it's incredible to see. You make it look easy. You have such passion. And so be open towards others' input. Be sensitive to that. Pay attention to responses. When you served, what did you seem to most enjoy? Be sensitive to those things. So match your passions. It's not always, and sometimes you have to, I don't say trial and error necessarily, but you just got to try things. And then when you do that, be sensitive to what you're doing. If our service is from God, no matter what it is, the Holy Spirit's fingerprints will be all over it. When you and I serve, where God wants us to, and in His power, the Holy Spirit's going to work out in some amazing ways. It'll be a manifestation of the Spirit that really makes our service unique. And only by using our gifts as a church can we release the marvelous, powerful workings of God that await us. But we need everybody to serve because each one's important. We're also told in this text, verse 21 through 24 specifically, there are many parts, they are all interdependent. Notice the de-emphasis in verse 21 through 24 on self-sufficiency and independence. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. No, the eye needs the hand. And the eye can freely express it. I need you. Because when it comes to Christ's body, there is no self-sufficiency and independence. We're tied together, we're linked together because we need each other. And there are many parts that are all still interdependent. Verse 22, you see the word seem. Interesting word. In other words, appearances can be deceptive. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, in other words, it might humanly, through the eyes of a human, seem that way, but that can be deceptive. Human opinion deems certain members of the body more important than others, but that opinion's wrong. Not only are all needed, varieties needed. We're all designed to work together. That's the way it's meant to be. One day, a, a farmer was sitting on a porch, and he was observing something that was taking place right in front of him on the highway. And he noticed a highway department truck was, was driving by, and, and, and a gentleman with a shovel would jump out of the truck as they stopped and, and dig a hole, and it's a pretty good-sized hole. And, and he would get back in the truck, and after a moment, a, another worker would hop out, and he'd come fill the hole up. And he watched this take place again and again and again. He goes... What is that all about? And so his curiosity got the best of him. And so he, he, he drove his car out there a little bit down the road, and he said, i got to ask you guys, what on earth are you doing? I mean, one of you gets out, and you, you dig this nice hole, and the other one's filling it up. I'm like, I'm trying to think what you're accomplishing. And after a half dozen repetitions, it just, I just can't put one and one together here. What are you doing? The worker says, we're on a highway beautification process project. And the guy who plants the trees homesick today. I think you'd agree. <laughs> Every role is needed. That's not going to be a very beautiful highway because every role is needed. It's interesting that the scripture says, verse 25 through 26, that there needs to be the same care for one another. Needs to, NIV says, an equal concern. Because those members that tend to give less honor are deserving of far more. And there needs to be the same care. And don't miss the point here. As members of his body, we're so interdependent that it's the only place on earth where one member cares so completely for another. The only place on earth where there's that kind of care is in the church. Because ministry happens in the context of relationship. The same care one for another. It was kind of neat uh, meeting yesterday morning with the community group leaders. And uh, what a great group uh, that is. And uh, as we were talking about community groups, it just struck me again of this passage. The significance of community groups when we can exercise the same care for each other. When needs don't get overlooked and, and unmet. Community groups, you should, there's some poster on there where they're at, you should, you should hop in one. You'll never regret it. Because it's not just what you can get out of it, but it's what you can give. You have brothers and sisters in those groups who need you. Who need your care that you can give them. Who need your gifts and your passions. If you're not sure who those names are, I can walk you to, to one of them and introduce you and, and get that uh, process started. But that would be a great decision to make. Years ago, um, 
when I was a youth pastor, uh, we went skiing. We went on a skiing trip. And, and as I said, I grew up in the city. There were no slopes really anywhere close, so I never skied. And, um, but how hard could it be? <laughs> I was athletic. This thing going to be a piece of cake. And so we get there, and, and, and I invited some adults to help chaperone. And I made sure one of the adults knew how to ski because there might be other kids who don't know how to ski. So I said, hey, by the way, Jack, uh, could you take me on, uh, just teach me a couple pointers. I'll figure it out from there. And, and he says, maybe we should go to the bunny hill. I'm like, you know, what an insult. But I went to the bunny hill, and he taught me some basic, hey, take wide loops, and when you stop, you know, do this. And I'm like, I can do that. And he said, why don't you go to the next hill? He said, it's, it's really no, no different than this one. It was different. When I got to the top, it was a lot different. And I'm like, but this is no problem. I'm pretty athletic. I'm young. I got all these tips now. I'm going to pull this bad boy off perfectly. And, it, and it, I had those nice loops going. That was great. Piece of cake. I could not stop, though. For the life of me, I couldn't stop. And I figured, I know how to stop. Just dive and fall over. And that worked. But I, I swear I took out that line on the chairlift multiple times. That's the only way I could stop. And, uh, but that was a ton of fun. I was enjoying the day, and, and Cindy was there with me, and she was skiing. And, and I remember we got on the lift together, and we're going up. I'm like, because I'd fallen down the hill, and, uh, and my skis flew off, and I landed on one of them, and, and, and it wasn't pretty. And uh, so I'm on a lift. I'm like, man, my leg hurts, honey. And she's kind of like, you know, she's like, let's shut up. Quit whining, you know. So we're going up and up, and I'm like, it's cold out. My body should be numb. I shouldn't be feeling. My leg is killing me. And she's like, okay, get over it. You know, it's because you're sitting on the lift. It's probably pressing on it. And so, and so, but it was bugging me. And so we, we got done, and we're in the thing. And I, and I, for some reason, my pants were just really kind of crusty and hard. And, and I, I don't know what's going on here. And I thought, but my, but my leg hurts. And so I better look at it. And, and I shouldn't have looked at it. Because it was completely bloody and stuff all caked up. And, and, but the thing I thought of, I'm going to show Cindy. <laughs> she said it wouldn't hurt. So I showed it to her and she, oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh. And, uh, and so I still don't let her forget it. But uh, here I am bleeding. And, uh, and, and, and Cindy didn't know and, 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 and nobody knew. And, uh, but it hurt. And you know what, in the church... You could be sitting next to someone who's bleeding and you don't even know it. They're hurt. And it could be deep-seated. And there's everything in them that says, because the culture tells them, suck it up. Just get over it. You'll move on. And so we live in a culture that says, don't share that stuff. Try to work it through, try to get through it, but God has so designed his body that we're interdependent. When one hurts, we all hurt. And that when one bleeds, we're never meant to bleed alone. We're never meant to hurt alone. But to plug into people we can share those hurts with who can support us and walk us through those times. And do you realize the church is the only place on this earth where that can really be done? You're sitting among people a group of people who love Jesus. And this body, this dynamic called the church is the most healing place. It's the safest place on earth. His body. We're many parts, brothers and sisters, but we're interdependent. And we all need each other. There was an interview 
with a Heisman Trophy running back a couple years ago. I made a note of it because I appreciated what he said. He says, I'd like to thank the lineman we won this award. He understood what was going on. He just carried the ball. There were linemen who blocked every single down. Every yard he got was because of alignment. And he understood he didn't win it, we won it. That's kind of a good way to look at the body. All those people rejoiced. One got the trophy, but it was really a team effort. All were dependent upon each other. And the church has equal concern. The church rejects comparisons. We reject competition. We reject favoritism, racism. We reject that because we're one. One body. We're many parts, but we're all interdependent. Paul also says in verse 25 through 27, there are many parts, none is exclusive. Look at verse 25 through 27. That there be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Verse 27 is key. Now you are Christ's body. Whose body is it? Christ. It's his. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. Therefore, as important as we are, and you are, you're not exclusive. It's just not Christ the head and you. It's Christ the head and us. There are many parts. None is exclusive. It's all of us. That's why I'm convinced we must reach children. We must disciple teenagers to understand they're part of the body and that they're a significant part of the body. They're not just a group of people that stay over there and be quiet and don't make too much of a mess. Because it's so easy to fall into that. And that we as adults are maybe more important. That's not what the text tells us. If you're a young child in here and you name Jesus as your Lord and you've trusted Him, if you're a teenager, you're in this text and you're equally as important as any adult in this room. Because there are many parts and none is exclusive. There's such an eye orientation in regard to involvement. Serving God wherever and whenever isn't for us. It's not even really about us. It's Christ's body. And I'm convinced the more spiritual people are, the more involved they will be in the body of Christ. The reason is they're giving the Holy Spirit free reign to work in them and through them. The body's about responding to the mandate that all believers are called to be involved. All believers are called to serve using their resources, their gifts, their talents. Every believer is called out of the bleachers and into the game. Except it's not a game. It's serious stuff, what Christ has called us to. Next week you'll get to see a little bit more of that. There are many parts and all are responsible. Our place in Christ's church is a privilege. It's also a responsibility. I'll have people over the years who come up and who are Christians and and they'll say, you know, I've, I've fallen upon hard times and, and, and I really could use some financial help. And, and I feel for them and, and I understand that's the place you should come as the church. And one of my first questions is, where are you serving? And sometimes it's like, well, nowhere. I, I really don't have time or this. And I'm like, okay, let me understand this way. You want all the benefits but none of the responsibility. Am I understanding that correctly? And some get ticked. But it's Biblical. We're all responsible. Any believer who's not serving within their church, and I don't mean the, just the building, is living outside the will of God. And I know that might 
ruffle some of you the wrong way. But we're called to serve because we're many parts, but we're all one body, and we're all called to serve. Serve one another. To serve what Christ is doing in our world. Because of that, let's put this together. Each member is important, so all are to be serving. Get involved. Ask me. I'll help you. I like to wholly nudge people. Again, it's not just adults, young adults, children. You have a lot to offer our body. We have a bunch of children who are practicing for a Christmas program. And if that's one of you, young person, you're not just putting a program on. You have a chance to minister to the whole body of Christ with your voice, carrying out your roles and your parts. Do it seriously. You have a lot to offer to us, to all of us. Each member is important, so all are to be serving. Number two, all members are interdependent, so do your part. Use your passions, use your gifts, use your talents. If we don't carry out our role, someone else might have to. Someone else might have to pick it up or be tempted to pick it up. And that's not what we're called to be. I think saints who aren't serving are missing out on seeing the Spirit move in their life in some profound ways. But if they would just get involved like they're called to, God's Spirit would really begin to work. Number three, none of the members is exclusive, so don't pull away. I realize some of you might have been hurt by the church in the past, disillusioned. Maybe you felt unappreciated. Maybe there's been conflict that's hindered you or others. And there's a part of you that just wants to be safe and protect yourself from that. I get that. I understand that. I've been there. It's not biblical to pull away, though. That's not Scripture. You and I are called to serve to our dying breath, to use our passions, our gifts for His body. And for all those who are serving here, thank you. We're a healthier church family because you are using your gifts. And to all those who may be new here and say, you know, I'd like to find a new church or, or I'm coming here a little bit, I'm kind of feeling it out. We need you to serve so we can become even healthier. Our impact can become even greater. None of the members is exclusive, so please don't pull away. And so if you're not serving, the body needs you. The church needs you to use your gifts so we can expand our impact and become even healthier as each person serves. Growing up, um, I grew up in a family of six. And uh, Dad had chores for everybody and you had dishes. You take the garbage out and you sweep and clean. All those, those things that are children that are just so healthy for you to do. Okay? Um, you should do them. You should do them without being asked, children. Okay? Children, you should get up at 6 and I'll better stop. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we would have chores to do. And, uh, and there would be times and kind of seasons in our family growing up where all of a sudden the chores weren't getting done or weren't getting done well. Or as children, it's hard to believe, we would drag our feet. And uh, there would be times Dad would call a family meeting and we knew, uh-oh, smackdown's coming. And we'd get around the table and Dad would say, Okay, and he, unfortunately, he'd point at you and say, Matt, I've asked you to do this, this, it's all we ask you to do. You don't pay rent here. We let you eat here. We let you sleep here. 
All we're asking you to do for their family is this and this. How come you're not doing it? But that was seldom because I usually did what I was supposed to. And um, my family would gag if they were up here, but I was pretty good. But uh, he, he would go around the table and say, you know what, you all have a role, you all have a responsibility, and, and you're starting to slack, and, and the home's becoming chaos. Your mother's disheartened, frustrated. She's trying to pick up pieces. I'm coming home and I'm seeing things aren't done. We need to get back to carry out our roles, kids. Because as a family, we function best when everybody does their part. And the end result is everybody does their role, kids, is we'll be a growing family, we'll be a healthy family. And I think Dad would probably say the same thing if he was here speaking to you today. He'd say, you know, church, we're healthier. It's more conducive to growth when everyone does their job, carries out their role and their responsibility. And we can carry it out begrudgingly. And we can walk out the door saying, oh, i got to go do this. Oh, my goodness. But what's our, medita- what's our motivation? What's our motivation to carry out our role ultimately? What is it? I'll let the Bible tell you. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you for your word. Even as we looked at the word pictures and some of the things that almost seem silly, you use them to convict us, to teach us, to illustrate truth. We'd like to thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the tugs this morning, for the, uh, the opening of our eyes and the, uh, the things you reveal in our hearts and maybe the attitudes. We thank you for that. We pray that you would move us and compel us to act upon what we've heard. And Jesus, for my brothers and sisters here in the body, I pray a special blessing and encouragement for them as they use their gifts and their passions and sacrifice their time, I pray that you would give them a real sense of pleasure, your pleasure. I pray that each time that they sacrifice time or resources, that you would place within them a sense of privilege, a sense of awe that you, the living God, would allow us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And Lord, I pray for every believer here, they would see their need to use their gift. They'd look beyond their comfort and their convenience to see their brothers and sisters. And even beyond that, to see you, the head of the church. Lord, we want to be a church that you're pleased with. A church that you can use in ways which would stagger the imagination. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves up to you. Our gifts, our ministries, our service, 
Take every act and use it for your kingdom. So that in all things, Jesus, you would be praised and glorified. It's your name we pray. Amen.